Christ is risen from the dead, trampling on death by death, and upon those in the tombs bestowing life. Christ is risen from the dead, trampling on death by death, and upon those in the tombs bestowing life. Christ is risen from the dead, trampling on death by death, and upon those in the tombs bestowing life. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So I think it's been a while since we actually did text, because I think the last time that we had one, I think I was sick, so I missed the last one where we were actually... And then Lent happened, and then we had uh, a meat gathering, basically, <laughs> a Pascal meat gathering. Uh, so what I suggest, we're going to do Titus 2, and we're going to get through the whole chapter. Uh, so would someone like to read first? Maybe the first mm, five verses? I'll take it. Go for it. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent behavior, not slanderers or slaves to too much wine. They are to teach what is good and to train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Someone like to pick up the next four verses? I can. Go ahead. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works and doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Exhort bond servants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Would somebody finish out the chapter? For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to, to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessing blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. What translation do you have, Phil? Uh, ESV. That's what I thought. That was on ESV was what I was Okay. So, Titus 2, like many Pauline books, uh, there is a call to, after kind of a theological explanation, even though chapter one was more about false teachers and what to look out for, then there's kind of a call to action, as it were, like, because of these things, do this. And this chapter, of course, he, he starts off with, do these things, and at the end ends with, but here's the, here's the theological kind of undergirding uh, for this. So Titus uh, is in this chapter it's a very practical call uh, to what Chrysostom really pulls out at the word that I find throughout uh, his commentary kind of comes back and f- to again and again is a kind of decorum, a kind of uh, picture of what a, a Christian man or woman uh, is supposed to act like. So if you look at the very uh, beginning, uh, let's just for some clarification, when he says you there in the very beginning, 
right? This is Paul talking to Titus, right? Mm -hmm. But as for you, Titus, speak the things that are proper for sound doctrine. And then he goes down this list for older men and older women. Uh, what kind of picture is does he draw uh, for what uh, older men should be like? What do you think of these words? Maybe that's... Summing them all up and like say one word is a quick reaction. Yeah, and then kind of then what... Because they all have a different little facet to them. The word that comes to me is faithful. Mm. You would say faithful in the sense of like following through trustworthy mm. um, dependable yeah. yeah I think I heard faithful and I heard like relationship to God but you mean like I meant somebody yes, that you yes. can have trust yes. and faith in right um, sober kind of responsible yeah I like I like Chrysostom's word which obviously is not the Greek but the translation the Victorian of this kind of decorum mm -hmm. but there's something respectable honorable mm -hmm. in older men were you saying something? Oh, I said grounded. Grounded. So, Chrysostom has some funny things to say, actually. <laughs> uh, I called it John Chrysostom's advice for grumpy old men. Um, he has also funny things to say uh, for the advice for older women. We're not going to really go for that. I mean, this like a men edit one versus the women edit one. Uh, but yeah, I'll just share what Chrysostom says about this passage. There are some failings which age has that youth has not. Some indeed it has in common with youth, but in addition it has slowness, a timidity, a forgetfulness, an insensibility, and irritability. <laughs> for this reason he exhorts old men concerning these matters to be vigilant. For there are many things which at this period make men otherwise than vigilant, especially what I mentioned, their general insensibility, and the difficulty of stirring or exciting them. <laughs> Wherefore, he also adds grave and temperate. This, of course, this is uh, sober, right? And then uh, here he means prudent, right? To so go back to that cardinal virtue of prudence uh, or temperance. For temperance is named for the well-tempered mind. For there are indeed uh, among the old some who rave and are beside themselves, some from wine and some from sorrow. For old age makes them narrow-minded. Hmm. Then he adds on, and we'll get uh, this at the end there, that patience. He says, he has well added in patience, for this quality more especially befits old men. Now, I think all of us, uh, whether or not we identify as older men or not, <laughs> all of this applies to us, I think. But I find it interesting, because he has some of the same things to say specifically about the older women that uh, about a kind of um, a heartache that can be in older age that he specifically talks about with older women but I think that's also kind of what he's talking about here with older men right like you rage from being rave from being besides themselves with wine or from sorrow right that there's something in old age that uh, you look back there's regrets so there's things that and some turn to he specifically for the women talks about wine, uh, uh, not given to much wine for older women. Chrysostom is drawing Paul out here a little bit more and saying like, this is also going to be a problem obviously for older men. Because um, I think there is something about, 
and those who are, have the blessing of being older can share <laughs> on this if they desire to. But I even feel this at being 38. Like I am not, I don't have the same desire and drive as I did when I was in my 20s. I was starting to slow down in certain ways and get easily irritable <laughs> because I'm now used, to, more used to things and kids and all this stuff. And it's just the practicality of Chrysostom. You have this image of like sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. And then to think of, uh, unfortunately, because we get from scripture the idea of like, to be gray haired is to be honorable. But I feel like our culture now, generally to get older is not always to actually become grounded, temperate, sober. Mm -hmm. But obviously that had the same problem, right? This is a challenge. The quest for virtue and for striving after Christ doesn't get easier with age. It just changes. What's that uh, passage we read commonly from Wisdom of Sirach about how uh, gray, hair is, gray hair is not wisdom? Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, that, I believe, is the common one for uh, not martyrs but venerable saints that is done um, at, uh, typically for that, which is basically to grow old and then blessed is the one who dies, uh, you know, that God brings to him. Uh, but I think Proverbs has very a strong streak of grayness as being like yeah. a hoary head, right? Is a, a sign of wisdom. It's, it's just interesting how, you know, in that passage of Sirach, it's like, gray hair is not a prerequisite for wisdom. Yeah, no. You can obtain it younger. I love if you if you read deeply in the wisdom literature, basically it's all dialectically arguing with itself. Mm. You get like Sirach, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, you can see how they emphasize certain things in opposition to each other. Kind of like if you read the sayings of the Desert Fathers, you can see like, I have to read these all together in order to get to the truth that's somewhere in the middle or like in my situation, this one is a little bit more true than this one, right? Like who's really holy? Oh, it's the, it's the cobbler in the city, yeah. right? In, in my favorite book, my annual, one of my annual Lent books, The Great Divorce, I'm always struck by the fact that the older people who are choosing to stay in hell mm. are choosing to stay in hell because of self-pity over bad things that happen to them. Mm. So the phrase, or, or sorrow, there just cuts like a knife. Mm. In other words, those who have been given much but have also lost much, you know, can they get over the pains that have come. I think that's just one of the challenges that I've encountered a lot with youth and it was in a particular way. I don't know if you all experienced this, but I remember, because I've seen this happen in Orthodox context. My, my experience of being younger was mostly and not in Orthodox, like, you know, late teens, uh, like first few years of college. But the reality of like uh, summer camp and the effect that that had on youth that was very good. And then they go back to the church they come from and they're like, this place is dead. <laughs> there's not, there's nothing here because they can't. But it was like, yeah, you live together. You're also a teenager. Uh, <laughs> everything is alive and new and fresh, right? And at a certain age, like, like we've seen this before, right? Enthusiasm is great. But I think that challenge of then like all of these transitions that one goes through so like old age, 
whatever, however you want to define that frame of oldness, every, like, having a child, getting married, like, all of these present new uh, opportunities for growth, but they can also be uh, times that actually almost, like, not lose one's faith, but, like, lose traction and, like, be thrown off. Uh, so I, I think Chrysostom here, and just talking about... And this kind of pointed thing, I don't know what his age would, how old Chrysostom would be when he said this. Uh, but it's just, I find it very interesting that he talks about men needing to be vigilant because that kind of attitude, I've seen it all, the, a world weariness that can kind of settle in, and then the malaise that can come in, uh, that I think is always actually a, a, a temptation for us. I can see David has something to say. So, Titus is young, right? But Paul isn't. So this is mm. older guy telling younger man how to teach older guys. <laughs> What's also fascinating, older women are supposed to teach younger women. Who are supposed to teach younger men in, in Titus? He doesn't tell the older men to teach the younger men. Look at it. I'm not saying any like big thing about that, but I just find it fascinating. He doesn't. Act, he says Titus exhort the young men to be sober-minded. He doesn't have the pattern because to be completely transparent, I chose Titus for Titus too <laughs> to just kind of talk about. Uh, relations in the parish and older to younger and all that but then when I because I was just generally thinking like older to younger and then I got to it and I was like oh that's interesting I don't think I actually picked up on that that it is directed to Titus as the one to exhort younger men yeah. I don't think in my opinion that doesn't mean therefore yeah. <laughs> older men should not and that's not the direction I'm you going to go the apostles out of office <laughs> 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 preacher go home <laughs> the elders got together and you're no longer the preacher here uh, that was my childhood um, <laughs> so isn't it always been though that women have a very civilizing effect on men you know I mean men they got their man caves and, their, you know, and this and that you know and finally you get a woman in there and she throws out all your horrible furniture and, and start, you, she starts having your kids you know no, I, well, I, I think there is something uh, about this. I mean, look at what the women are encouraged to do, right? Like they're encouraged to admonish young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands. The word of God may not be blasphemed. Has a different set of things that he tells the men. I, I don't think, therefore, that means man does not have to do the things, right? Like, you don't have to love your, your spouse. You don't have to love your children. You don't have to be discreet, chaste, uh, homemakers, like all of that stuff. But I think there is something uh, in this path. Because you have to think of the first chapter, too. What is the challenge? Do you remember what the challenge is in Titus, in the book, in Crete, that where he's writing this to? You had false teachers going around, right? And you had false teachers who are basically leading people astray. And so he basically is telling Titus, like, you're going to have to rebuke them, right? There's something strong going on there, which is, if you get to the end, right, what is the very end of chapter two? It's almost a repetition. 
speak these things, exhort, and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. I can't hear, let no one despise you. Since David, your point about don't look anyone down, look, let, don't let anyone look down upon your youth that you see in Timothy, which isn't Titus, but right. I think it's the same kind of thing. Like you're a younger guy who's going to go in there that's going to have to exhort and rebuke. And that's everybody. That's not, that's not just going down the age chart. That's also going up the age chart, right? I mean, it's in- interesting the, like you said, the, the things he's mentioning for for men and for women. I was actually thinking the other day, it seems to me that for men and women, this sort of characteristic or stereotypical sin, I would say, that each sex slips into for women is narcissism, which can go all the way into slipsism, right? It's just like everything's about me, and he's telling them, love your husband, love your children. Right? The outward directive. Right, and for men, I think... I think it's probably nihilism, actually, because <laughs> if you don't have something to defend, protect, etc., if you don't have something or not given the opportunity to do that, like you talk about a civilizing force, I don't think it's women that civilize men so much as marriage does, right? Yes. Yeah. The institution. Yes. So, yes. so having that responsibility. So yes. when you have nothing to be responsible for, like he's saying, you get you know insensibility and it's just like well, nothing matters. Screw it! I'm going to do whatever I want. Yeah, car- carnalness, just Car- over. You become a beast. Carnality, right. um, irritability. Yeah, it's just like nothing matters anyway. So those are sort of the things that we can kind of settle into. And I notice myself definitely getting more irritable the older I get. I think, <laughs> I, think, I, think I had a certain amount of patience I was given for my whole life, and like I already run through most of it at this point. And so, it's just like, oh. I mean, there's a, the movie, right? Grumpy old man. Yeah. I mean, like, I. I I, I think Paul and hitting on these things that that needing that the soberness, the reverent, the temperance, uh, that there's soundness. I kind of look at faith, love and patience. I kind of put that as like faith, hope and love. Just another way of saying that, like you can't have patience unless you have some hope. <laughs> things are going to change. <laughs> Otherwise, it's part of the irritability. It's just like, goodness gracious, like uh, but to fo- like to have ends that. How do I want to say this? That that icon of dignified, self-controlled, and this isn't the same as like a Stoic sage, right. or like the Greco-Roman, or like a hero, or like Hercules, or like some of the great men of. I think there's some elements that are there, but this is obviously Christ is going to be, you know, and then the saints that imitate him. Uh, but you have here a groundedness in like love and patience patience if my reading or my memory of like reading ancient Greeks for example in philosophy because Chrysostom is very conversant in I mean they all were right they're surrounded by these different competing schools of thought because Christianity we don't typically think like this but a lot of the Greco-Romans saw Christianity as a competing school of philosophy. Uh, so you had teachers, right? St. Justin Martyr walked around in philosopher robes. Uh, so you have in Christianity teaching that is outside of the typical, like, what is the ideal male or ideal man or ideal woman? Particularly Greco-Romans weren't really concerned about women in the same way, right. to be fair. <laughs> That's just not how they thought. Uh you can read things. I'm trying to remember. Oh, what's the name of that book? Which is basically about like how to run a household. Uh, 
if you were to read that book and then read Paul, I think you would find read, that there's some... Xenophon? Yes. Well, about it, basically domestic yeah, household at, things. At the very least, a call to fidelity in a marriage yeah, that's to different. the Christian... The Christian sexual ethic was absolutely revolutionary in comparison to the behavior of the Greco-Roman world. Mm -hmm. Its treatment of slaves, you know, the they're young not chattel; they're else. people. <laughs> so, to some degree, it was knocking men's freedom down, mm -hmm. you know, it, into a different mode than the entire surrounding normal culture, which maybe begins to sound a little bit like today. But that's another. <laughs> There's a, there's a good book, I think it's Kyle Harper, From Shame to Sin, where he chronicles the, the struggle in the early church, or like how they changed basically the sexual mm -hmm. ethic. Uh, and that's exactly that. Like there, there might have been like some social stigma around certain things, but it, it changed into like, no, sin. <laughs> like, yeah. You cannot, your slave girls are not your property to just do whatever you want with, right? Like there's, it is man and woman, that's it. It's the marriage bed. What's the name of the sociologist if I've ever wrote a whole book on that? Um, I'd have to, I don't we'll remember off the top of my head. I think it's Stark. Is he at Baylor? It is Stark. He's at Baylor? Yeah. Okay. So what do you think of, uh, just to kind of sit on some of these words, What what is, what is sobriety? What is soberness? An easy one, obviously, low-hanging fruit, like not giving over to wine, right? Okay, yes, all right. What, <laughs> beyond that, what do you think of when you think of sobriety? Someone who's sober. A seriousness. So, someone who listens more than they speak, maybe. Hmm. So seriousness, someone who listens more than they speak. Somebody who remembers they're going to die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's really good. That kind of encapsulates all of it, like, in the sense of, like, has perspective. I kind of think when I think of sober, I think of someone who's not quick to act, but actually like thinks through what they're going to do instead of just being reactive. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. What about reverent? Mm. Beyond the like they're pious, right? Like, because piety also means something very different. I think we think of piety, we mean they're like sentimental and syrupy, but that's not what the ancient world thought with piety. At least how I grew up. When you say someone's pious, like that's almost tantamount really? to yeah, calling them a Bible thumper, right? Like, oh, really? Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. That's how I grew up. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Humble. Humble. Has their priorities in the right? Mm -hmm. Like there's like they have perspective. They have their priorities. Maybe they treat things actually as holy as holy. Right. Like an awe before something. That's greater than them. Is that kind of what you mean by humility? Like there's yeah. an awe before. I think those two work together, reverence and sobriety. Because sobriety is like understanding. Reverence is like you appreciate and honor the good. Sobriety is like you understand the forces keeping you from the good, and you know how to act in response to them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Sobriety. I think that you you take you treat serious things with the seriousness they deserve. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure everyone's met someone before that 
is like ironic or sarcastic about everything all the time. You're like, how can we even get to know each other if you can never be serious about anything ever? Right? Yeah, Americans. Well, yeah, we have a real that's problem with said. this. Which, that's normally in I my just experience, kind of. A, <laughs> I, I just did it. Like a self-confidence or self-esteem or defense type mechanism, right? But if you're never serious about anything, then any criticism is well, I'm just joking, anyway. So, right. But. Um, so the ability to like take on criticism or like the ability to actually be substantial enough that if right. somebody said something, you're not like a wisp that can right. just. Right. I would assume that the abbot of an institution containing about 300 men of every conceivable age would probably have to be a fairly calm person. Yeah. yeah. Not easily rocked. Exactly. Yeah. You see that over and over and over in um, everyday saints. Yeah. You know, to where, you know, like, ah, the Soviets are at the gate. You don't know that. And it's like, okay, it's time for Vespers. We'll, 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 you know, we'll come back and I'll deal with that. You know, been there, done that, you know. Hang and on. has not become jaded or cynical, Exa yeah. but ha as opposed to how Chrysostom is, like, has been worn out by sorrow or, right. but... I, I like I like kind of like that. Remembers that they're going to die. <laughs> Just puts everything in perspective. David, I feel like you've been. Yeah, I was wondering, if Reverend. You know, treating holy things as holy, but also just treating anything sort of higher than oneself as respectfully, basically. Mm -hmm. Like not not just in like a religious setting, but in your right, day to day life. Not Which taking the Lord's name in vain. Right. Which I think that's one of those practical things, right? Yeah. Like, there's like the God's name is something that you don't just say lightly if you, you don't invoke right. it as a. Which requires humility, as someone mentioned before, to recognize there are things higher than yourself that deserve respect. Liturgical abuse is an example of irreverence. Mm -hmm. And the fact that, you know, this liturgy belongs to me, right. and I'm going to shape it in my own image. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, rather, rather than, no, this liturgy belongs to God and the people. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, you won't hear me ad-libbing the NF or anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to do in this. In this yeah, that's <laughs> true. Like, why would I try to do better than Chris this time, right? I'm back, to, I'm back to, to that book. I mean, there was crisis after crisis after crisis. But knowing the difference between all of those and the one where you do have to say, our life is on the line right now at the monastery. You know, and the three older monks who were great generals in the Soviet army put on their uniforms and their medals and go stand in the door of the monastery and say, okay, shoot me. You know, all these Russian soldiers are out there looking at the chest full of medals. That's a great image, actually, of kind of like not the Soviet thing per se, but yeah, no, <laughs> but I, like a decor, like a decorum, like they're, yeah. they're literally decorated with like honor and so they have to show to this force this is we don't wear this because we find our honor in somewhere else but there's some there's still like the natural man like that shows like don't are you going to shoot a war yeah. veteran is, is that what you're here to do right yeah. still reverence in the uh the soldiers yeah no yeah appeal to them that's pretty sober <laughs> sobering but that wasn't their response to everything they had right. hundreds of other chances to, but you know, but to pick out, okay, this is the moment mm -hmm. that we're going to lose the monastery on this one. Has everybody read Everyday Saints? I'm reading it right now. Actually. Okay. It's, it's 
it, it was it, it was one of those books. That, I know not every book hits people the same way, but it was one of those. That was one of those books that was like I needed it exactly when I got it, and it was life changing for me because I needed it at the time that I read it. I was at Vanderbilt Divinity. I needed that book. About <laughs> half of it. About half of it is great reading for family reading. Uh-huh. That's why I recommended yeah. it to the catechumens. You know, as something in families that about half that book, children will listen to it. Mm-hmm. You go through and pick out, pick your chapters carefully, and pr- pretty much any child over about seven or eight is going to pay attention to about half that book. So not, not the Ouija board, the first chapter. What? <laughs> not the Ouija board. Uh, yeah. Right, the, yeah. <laughs> the summoning of things. So temperant. What do you think of temperant? losing your temper there's yeah I'm trying to remember what if you're thinking of cardinal virtues and you think of temperance I think it's like it's almost like soberness and reverence actually kind of together create the ability to be temperate by not being razzed by things and being able to respond adequately to what is I don't think I actually realize that these all are like nestled, nest, nested in each other here in the way that they. Temperance would be like just not going to excesses in like in, a, in general. Yeah, yeah. Right. it requires discernment to be able to ju- make the judgment of how to act. Yeah. This is also where if you take the different words, that the different translations have chosen for what it, is the issue? You end up with one of those computer-generated word clouds, <laughs> yeah, the ones that jump out the most. Yeah, yeah. You know, but I mean, but integrity, dignity, That's how I like sound those. speech that can't be condemned. Um, this, you're down in seven and eight there? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm sorry, I jumped down. No, no, it's fine. So then sound in faith, in love, and in patience. What do you think he means by soundness? Part of the reason I go this slow and like go at micro is also like as an example of how to read scripture because it's very easy to be like, okay, but just like slow down and be like, what does this word mean? I mean, you can look it up. I'm about to look up the Greek to make sure that I understand what the Greek is behind it. What does ESV say? I don't think it says sound and faith, does it? It does say sound sound and faith, in love and in steadfastness. What does it mean to be sound in faith? Solid. Secure. Yeah. Solid. Well-founded. Safe and secure from all alarm. Safe and secure from all alarm. <laughs> <laughs> Church of Christ. <laughs> I'm sure the Baptist also saying that. I immediately jump back to the Wall Street Journal thing we were talking uh-huh. about. Because one of the things that guy... I mean, the minute you talk to anyone who wants to attack the growth of the Orthodox Church, and we're talking people in certain places who are in the Orthodox Church and want to attack the growth of the Orthodox Church, the Orthobro stories start coming out of the walls, marching like an army. Yeah. You know, of the young men who've read five books, they're six months in, they've, they've, they've figured out how it all links to Trump, and it all, and, it, <laughs> and it's all a part, you know, COVID's in there, and it, and this is the opposite of that, I think. Sound and faith, you get the impression he wants some sort of longer approach. I mean, 
instantaneous like, excitement about doctrine and faith doesn't seem to fit in this list very well, mm. or overexcitement. I'm trying to find the sound of the Greek. Dignified. The world is not full of dignified orthopros. Dignified orthopros. That's like the postmodern Gentile. <laughs> So the Greek has, is the, the idiom is literally to have wellness or to be, to be healthy. So healthy oh. faith, healthy, healthy love. Faith. That's healthy. People who are well do not need a doctor, but only those who are sick. That's another line where the same word is used. It, it sound is in sound, like the same way you would say sound in body. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yes. Yes. So sound in piste, ti agape, ti... Yeah, so, and then patience. I, I'm not good at Greek. I go, upomone. Up <laughs> be, be not screwed up in faith. <laughs> so, I mean, there's the subjective and objective aspect, right? Like, you need, and we got this from Titus 1 already, right? Like, you need to have the right doctrine or it's not going to pan out very well. That's basically, Paul says this all over the place throughout the Pauline epistles. Uh, the soundness in faith means right teaching, but it also, of course, means the actions that are going to flow yeah, from that faith, faith but which would flow into the love because that means you if you have your rightly ordered uh belief then you're going to be able to rightly order your loves and then to have uh patience and all that I, the patience I, i'm going to look up what the greek actually what the word is does esv also say patience so the what i see here is endurance the ability to endure what patience right like but i think it helps by saying the ability to endure so their faith and their love is something that's not short flash in the pan but it's something that's sustained should we move on to the the younger men here so Titus is supposed to exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works and doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. So obviously I think this is Paul telling, giving Titus a good, you know, like, you need to be an example to... The young men because he's telling them the young men to be sober-minded uh and then he's basically saying titus you need to be a pattern etc so the you the yourself there in verse seven is yes i believe that's it's, yes. it's applying it to titus which i again i don't think therefore nobody else needs to follow the pattern of titus i think titus is a good pattern for us <laughs> if he's supposed to pattern for the young people then it's okay for us to pattern after titus and needing to be a pattern. That's almost too many pattern words, but, you know. <laughs> it's just, it's, he's telling Titus there to lead by example, mm -hmm. right? Which is a little bit different than what came previously. In what way? What, what previous thing are you pointing to? Uh, about old men. He doesn't, he doesn't say, he, he, he doesn't well, tell him to lead old men by example. And not, not that there's necessarily like some yeah, sort of yeah, dichotomy yeah. here, but... The, the old men list is state of mind, state of character. This one's a little bit more act this way. Yeah. So show, teach, 
right. sound speech. So that you can become the older man. You that is temperate, is reverent. Survive to be the older man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Chrysostom here see, says, See how he everywhere recommends the observance of decorum. For he has committed the women the greater part in the instruction of women, having appointed the elder to teach the younger. But the whole instruction of men he assigns to Titus himself, for nothing is so difficult for that age as to overcome unlawful pleasures. For neither the love of wealth nor the desire of glory or any other thing so much solicits the young as fleshly lust. Therefore, passing over other things, he directs his admonition to that vital point. Not, however, that he would have other things neglected. For what says he? That he says, you know, in all things show yourself a pattern of good works. But so what? What Chrysostom sees here is basically Paul uh, Titus needs to exhort young men to be chaste, to be sober-minded, to have their uh, loins girded up. Right? Like that. That is where Chrysostom. Because there's a little bit later that uh, he goes on a long thing about uh, the difference between the unnatural desire of greed versus the natural desire of sex. And that actually, like, it makes a little bit more sense that, like, fornication would be a challenge. But, like, he's making this huge difference of, like, greed is unnatural. Like, you don't need all of that stuff. Sex, like, okay, that makes sense. That's a natural desire put in you. Like, it makes sense that you stumble. But greed? Seriously, guys? <laughs> he's kind of, that's the rhetoric that he's playing with there, right? Which is also a Greek philosophical thing, too, because it's Christism. But uh, I think here he's exhorted, like, be sober-mindedness. It's something to, uh, I don't think that, uh, I know there's kind of a rite of passage that we all kind of joke of. Maybe this is a millennial thing, per se, of, like, having the birds and the bees conversation where the dad has to have the birds and the bee conversation uh, which we also kind of like uh, but I think there is something of necessity to have a reminder especially at puberty in those ages to like be sober minded like you, you gotta have those conversations and connect and put those boundaries especially if you got boys <laughs> I'm thinking about internet turn off the internet or all those kind of things that are gonna be necessary What do you all think about exhorting young men to be sober-minded? You don't have to just riff off of Chrysostom. If there's something else that comes up, that's fine. <laughs> I'm sure Chrysostom in his preaching to that audience at that time needed to hear that. Self-controlled is the word in the ESV. Younger men really? urge them to be self-controlled. That makes a little bit more sense why Chrysostom goes that direction than just sober-mindedness. Well, if I could jump to the end of that, because I think you can read it backwards here. Kind of what he's advising with sound speech that cannot be condemned so that opponents may not be put to shame, have nothing evil to say about us. He's basically saying, don't shoot yourself in the foot. <laughs> I mean, don't. I mean, and so to some degree, um, well, survive to be the, the, the wise old guy. Mm-hmm. What is, the, what is the constant theme? And this is actually in, in chapter 1, too. That we, ju we, saw, we see it in verse 5 and we see it in verse 8, which you just referenced. And it's also going to come up in verse 10 with the bondservants. This theme. Keeping to the doctrine. There's that. That the word of God may not be blasphemed. That nobody has anything evil to say of you. And that, that you adorn the doctrine of God, our, our Savior, to those without. Right? 
there's this constant focus of like the world is watching and we need to act like if you want to say don't shoot yourself in the foot but like if we preach this gospel we need to embody it so that we're not I believe it's in Romans where Paul is talking about uh, it's this kind of back and forth about Jews and Gentiles and talking about like having God's people be blasphemed among the nations because of the way they act right uh, Paul's emphasis here and all of these things is this kind of constant looking towards what other people they're watching us right we're making a lot of great claims <laughs> big claims change and upsetting people's lives and changing things but upsetting people as I mean like reconfiguring how they're going to live so there's a saying attributed to St. Francis people say he didn't really say is it preach the gospel always and when necessary use words right yeah, yeah. it's also uh, with the older man who's cautioning against like you're saying malaise and you know indifference I guess and the younger man it's self control so against impulsiveness and sort of acting without thinking so sounds about like what you would right. want to tell older men and younger right. guys but Chrysostom says about to in this word to Titus right show yourself to be a pattern of good works he says let the lust of your life be a common school of instruction, a pattern of virtue to all, publicly exhibited like some original model, containing in itself all beauties, affording examples whence those who are willing may easily imprint upon themselves any of its excellences. I think, especially as guys, there is, you can call it, uh, so we have a challenge right now. There's been a lot of books about boys not growing up to be men and just a kind of the boy troubles that we're having that are tied up with, let me say, father hunger, father wounds, or all these kind of things. Uh, and I think that it is very evident uh, if you're around guys, we're, we're very much kind of band of brothers in the sense of like you need other men and you need and we look for validation if we don't get it from dad we're going to look for it somewhere mm -hmm. and that I think part of what he's doing in, to Titus is saying you got to be a mentor you have to be somebody who uh, is going to impress upon and impress I don't mean like razzle dazzle I mean like imprint upon the life of others that this is what holiness looks like mm -hmm. and this is what the life the pattern of life because Paul says this exact same thing right imitate me as I imitate Christ so he's telling Titus the same thing you need to imitate Christ so that others through you can try to imitate Christ uh, and I think this is especially working with younger guys um, that the women when we were talking about this we were starting to just discuss the general challenge that we have and of course I gave myself only 15 minutes to talk about <laughs> of we're having a lot of young men come into the church and a lot of them have a lot of I'll just say general I'll say father or like there's they don't have a dad <laughs> they don't have structure they're looking for structure that's part of the reason why they're looking into the church uh, and the challenges that flow from this uh, and it's something to even think about proactively because we have teenagers right now, and we're going to have a gigantic glut of teenagers 
that's coming just here in the next few years. And while some of us may not think of ourselves as older guys, we are the older guys to these teenagers or to be teenagers and starting to think about um, some of the challenges that contemporary culture puts on us or the situations that we're going to find us ourselves in. Uh, there's a great talk and it's something I, I can share out. I, you know Anthony Bradley. He gave a talk. Uh, he's an African-American reformed guy. Uh, historian. Historian. King's College. He works with a lot of uh, Christian fraternities throughout the United States. And he's been dealing with this kind of problematic because you're talking to college guys, this is the stuff that comes up. And he basically has this talk, I think it's almost two hours, where he's gone through a lot of the, because there's been a lot of works been done, published, you know, secular sociologists, not just like Christians who are worried about losing their kids, right? But like just the challenge that young men are having right now and needing to look at uh, the way that most churches do youth ministry, quote unquote, or like those kind of things. And one of the big points that he makes is fathers, um, there's a big movement to like disciple your kids in certain like evangelical circles. And he's saying like that actually the dad who's like, this is what the teachings of the church are. Like, this is what scripture says this kind of like, and you, that that's not what they need. What they're really looking for is they need mentors. They need men outside of their dads that, and they need connection with the dad that they, that that is the most important thing that they're looking for is connection. Uh, that doesn't mean like that dad stops fathering, right? And saying like, this is the direction that we need to go. This is kind of virtues that you need to inculcate in your life. But that requires uh, other men outside of the family to be connected to. Uh, and that a lot of youth want more meat. They don't want, because I think what a lot of the youth group ends up being is like pizza, ice cream, like a little teaching and then... That's it? Well, my, my brother is literally the Southern Baptist Convention's leading authority on youth work, mm -hmm. the second half of the 20th century. And he wrote something that people thought he was out of his mind, because the Southern Baptist picture of a youth leader was like 24 years old, dashing, exciting. He's going to go play with the kids, and he'll be relevant and fun. That's all I saw growing uh, up. <laughs> and also a lot of those guys get into a lot of trouble with young women and a whole lot of other things. My brother, Be sober-minded. My brother came along and said, you should have at least one or two men involved in your youth program who are over the age of 50. Mm -hmm. He says, we have a generation. My, my brother saw this coming in the 80s, 70s and 80s. He says, we, well, have, a generation, now. <laughs> we have a generation of children who are yearning for grandparents. They, we, they've lost their parents to some degree, but distance and whatever they, nobody's growing up with uncles next door. Nobody's no, growing yeah. up with grandparents mm -hmm. who've been there and done that. Um, and so he actually urged more older youth leaders. And people thought he was crazy, but I think he's been proven to have been ahead of his time. My, um, that. my youth experience has actually followed that advice, I guess. Because we did, my, my, my high school church had um, the 20-something yeah. youth leader, right? But when they had, like, breakout uh, male and female like Bible studies and stuff, right, um, that was held 
It was actually, I think it was the, the same married couple. They were over 50, heading towards retirement, and we would go, we would do our Bible studies with them, and then we would, you know, break out, and, you know, sometimes it was go have fun at the pool or whatever, but I spent a lot of time talking to the old guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I did. The, um, the, when I lived in Washington, D.C., we saw a lot of articles about the loss of grandfathers in the African-American community of D.C. and how the fact that everybody was talking about the lack of father. I mean, 83% of African-American children in the District of Columbia are growing up without a male in the house. Mm -hmm. And if it's a male is in the house, it's probably their mother isn't married to him. So they're growing up with no father figure at all. And some sociologists now look at another generation beyond that for the lack of grandfathers. Mm -hmm. And what do you learn from a grandfather? Um, and we said, no wonder we have massive urban problems in Washington, D.C. I think part, part of what discussing with the women was <clears throat> this parish is uh, lopsided. Uh, what's the word I want it? demographically uh, we have a whole lot of millennials and some Gen X and we have a handful of boomers just to use those kind of colloquialisms right like which is if you were to go down the turnpike or a lot of the churches in Knoxville it's the inverse like if you were to talk to some of the mainline churches down here they're like dying to have children and we're like where are we going to put the children right now right like so I think one of the challenges that we're we have, it's not that we're going to have, is uh, having these relationships because they don't just happen. I think our culture also, we don't naturally per se, I mean, some of it happens. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but I think it's something that we have to be thinking about and trying to be ahead of the curve a little bit. This is uh, something, I thought I had the book with me. It's called The Mentor's Handbook. This is from, this is like an appendix at the end of it. Uh, it's written by a Roman Catholic priest, Father Peter Michael Henry, um, and this is all about basically just talking about the challenge that young men have right now uh, with lack of mentors. One of the things I feel a lot is, you know, in pastoral care, uh, there's some aspect where it's like, I can't be your dad, what you really need is a dad, right? Like I. I so to have this known, and I think we are trying as much as possible, but this list I thought was a, a good list, even for us, like it's just a reminder of goals as guys, but it's something especially like I'm thinking like Joseph is eight right now. These are some themes that I need to like refresh myself on and make sure that he's connected to older men. Um, I don't think, maybe we just quickly go through some of these just to kind of go over it uh it's a conversation i i, I want us to have in general because part of mints and access is like we're studying something but i would also like to help maybe seed like things like i know like we have the forerunners on the books mm. but like what can we do with the forerunners to make it things and start kind of brainstorming about some things and this doesn't mean like just didactic catechetical things <laughs> Uh, one of the things that also that Bradley brings up that I thought was good was something like this 
that teenagers coming to something like this would actually be good because we talk about things in some detail. We're reading scripture and they get to see and be with older men and talk about some of those things so they can see modeled what it is for them to kind of be to grow up because I don't think we have the same challenge that like a lot of Protestants, maybe Catholic churches have. We have like kid church and then you have adult church and they lose people when they graduate from kid church mm -hmm. to adult church because they don't ever grow up. I mean, orthodoxy does have this challenge in this country where we have a whole lot of orthodox who go off to college and then that's it. They're done. They don't come back to church. Uh, so I don't think that's the, I, the challenge of like they were in kid church and then they graduate. Uh, I know there is a challenge of how do they connect and it's something in general I'm trying I'm broadly thinking brainstorming of like how to have teenagers etc be able to connect with the church as in be able to act and be responsible for things in the church and not just on the recipient where they're consuming something but that they're actually having some active role in something mm -hmm. I don't mean like let's do liturgical whatevers and whatevers <laughs> but just trying to think of ways. So if you guys have ideas or things to think of, I'm all ears uh, about examples or suggestions. But what I, I found in this list, just some helpful things. And some of this is just be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I still think it's good to have some kind of like framework. Uh, this is specifically to help young men mature, right? This is also something, uh, as you can tell in some of the things that he says in here for mentors. Uh, and some of these things you might be like, well, that seems like a prudential call. That might be something I wouldn't say it exactly like that. But if that's the case, then there's something behind that, that there's some wisdom that I think there is to attend to. Um, so we don't really have time to, to go through this. And maybe next time we can w work through some of this because... I think if you're looking at this portrait of what is a sober, reverent, temperate, grounded in, you know, sound and faith, love and patience, I think he does a pretty good job of putting a little bit more specificity for us uh, from things, you know, like obviously fear drugs and alcohol, right? Like give them, he says, like teach them the military rule. For those who are 21, like two drinks and you're done. Just little things of like maxims or idea, like to have in your head. Because I grew up in a teetotaling household where it's like beer was, or like alcohol was this kind of like almost scary thing because it was forbidden. Mm -hmm. So it would have been much better, I think, to be like, it's something that you can use just like any other, like, like sex is a thing that exists in marriage and it's good and holy when it's done in the right way. Um, but like, I, I think one like, do not date until you're 21. I think you have to read what he's fleshing out there as to what he means with that. Just basically have some boundaries because I mean, come on, 16 year olds by themselves in a room. The things that could, <laughs> the boundary list ways in which teenagers date now versus what should probably have way more boundaries and some guidance and parameters uh, they don't know what they don't know. <laughs> I wish I'd had more parameters when I was younger that my parents, you would think that there would have been more parameters and there should have been more parameters. Mm -hmm.
fact that I didn't have parameters is why I'm in church right now. <laughs> when I was 27, I, I said, this, this ain't working. <laughs> My daughter made the decision not to date in the rather wild context of South Florida for, for two reasons. She said, I didn't see dating <coughs> anyone happy. I literally looked around my school and didn't see dating making anyone happy. And the second thing, she said she had read a book by, I gave her a book by a Jewish writer named Danielle Crittenden called What Our Mothers Didn't Tell Us. And Sarah said, if dating is trying to figure out which guys are worthy of marriage, there's nobody in my high school that I'm going to be interested in. I mean, this is this is because it's not the time, right? I mean, this, it's is, not this is just not the right time to even think about that. And that I don't know whether we would have the courage to say things like that, you know, as a. But that's isn't that kind of exactly what he's saying. That's exactly what he's saying number? about yeah. about the don't. He's saying oh, let's just read it. You know, this dictate usually creates a wildly defensive reaction. Until you remind a young man that he has nothing to give a young woman. <laughs> Just yet. <laughs> like, if you were to ask me for my daughter, I would ask him, who do you think you are? Followed by, go make something of yourself, then come back and ask again. This, of course, does not mean that we must shun the girls or young women in their lives, but they should be encouraged to go on many dates with different women and none exclusively. Women should be respected and sexual intimacy should be reserved for marriage. The time to date exclusively comes after the age of 21. The development of so many young men is arrested when they forsake the program in favor of hanging out with their girlfriends at the mall. I think that dates it a little bit, but <laughs> it is a, a Roman Catholic priest, so <laughs> he's probably 10 years behind the curve on the dating scene anyways. <laughs> Are there any malls nearby? <laughs> West Town Mall. <laughs> But I, I think I like I wish that I had been given that advice or like that that had been a little bit because there was I, I think back to high school and it was just a heartache and just it was just dumb. <laughs> it was a, not a good use of my time or energy. And not to just put it in efficient terms, but it's just what was the point? Like my senior year, that was a little bit different, but but I think we if. I, I, th I would like to go through some of these and just talk about them because I think uh, on the next time around, uh, because I think some of them uh, helpful reminders, uh, and especially fathers or future fathers or men who are in a position to mentor, you know, younger men, even if in their 20s, like some of these things may not apply uh, to a 25 year old, but a lot of these do. A lot of these just apply to us, even married with kids, right? Like, I think one of the challenges was, I could go on and on with this, because <laughs> I think that a lot of this stuff resonates very deeply with me. You know, the, the challenge of finding a mentor, I, I know so many guys my age, and they struggle mightily to try to find mentors. It just doesn't seem to click, or just traction can't be found. And I don't really know what that is. I have theories, but I don't. I don't really know what what that is. Why Do, it is? Why? Why? You mean why it is? Or yeah. Why? Why does it? I wouldn't even know where to look for a mentor. Yeah. Right. You mean professionally, know. or just in life, or what? Life. Or you have to know what you're going to be mentored about. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> 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 a boy who seeks to become a man must have a vision of the man he desires to become. Yeah. I mean, we're all we're so disconnected and have so many few, there's so few places where we really interact outside of church, right? I mean, how many other sort of communities are you really a part of? Well, me, it's just church. I know I told you this before, but there's the joke that said, you know, Christ at least commented on miracles, the fact that he made 12 close male friends after the age of 30, right? And it's, it's like it just doesn't happen, really, you know? We often become consumed in our professional lives. So mentorship, like yep. I work yeah. at the lab, mentorship at the lab is oh. a big talking point. Yeah. Professional mentorship yeah. is a big thing. That's what but I thought you were talking only. about. Well, See, that's fascinating that that's how you hear that. Huh. Yeah. That's, the, that's also the flip side, though, of another pattern, which has been written about in several different books. The national marriage crisis and the declining rate of marriage mm -hmm. is essentially that if you get out of college without having spotted someone, mm -hmm. you're done. After you're that, done. it's basically <laughs> <You're> work <laughs> for the national, for the average national age, work and bars. Yeah. yeah. I was having that conversation earlier today with uh, Katie and David. Which I think they might like they met in a bar, and they're like, I'm "Glad we did because where else? Were, like, not that that was great that that was that the put, but like there there is no other place, right? I mean, apps don't. I mean, that's not <laughs> right. I was thinking a mentor was like someone to lead you spiritually in a sense, but so like, where do I go for that? Other than where I'm already going. Yeah, yeah. so I so I would say there's like uh, I've been using this image a lot. I think our I'll say anthropology, and I mean that like what is a human, right? And it's like a Russian doll that's like nestled with those different layers, right? There is like the like the physical, like the body. There's soul and spirit. This is kind of a classic way of talking about it, right? And the fathers talk this way too. Theophon, St. Theophon specifically talks this way. I have a handout. I need to make more prints. It was from um, Mother Catherine. She's an abbess of a, a skeet in Indianapolis. She's also a therapist, and she had a, a printout for those dealing with like kind of general anxiety, because this is just... That was one of the biggest surprises to me coming out of seminary into pastoral ministry. It was like the just blanket anxiety that everyone that like I kind of got, but like it's just now the default, right? And it's she now literally an epidemic. Yeah. A it's, drug is up to uh, drugs related to um, anxiety are up to like thirty to thirty five percent of Americans under the age of forty five or yeah. something. Oh. It's like one in six Americans. One in, it's, it's up I think it's higher than that well, at certain ages. Yeah. So the tripartite is like, how do you care? She breaks it down like, how do you care for your body? Like, what do you eat? What do you do, right? So I think there could be mentorship in that, right? Like some people, they need to literally have a better program for their life, like physical life, right? And so they need to attend to those things because it, it, that's not, not spiritual. I think we have this dichotomy, right? Like that's, that's just my body. And they get even First Timothy, right? Like bodily exercise, whatever, right? I don't think that's actually accurate, right? Soul, like what do you feed yourself? By that, is a, and the way she breaks it down for anxiety is like, do you just watch the news? Turn off the news. <laughs> like, does that just make you anxious and angry? Well, duh, it's made to do that, right? Like, get off social media stuff. Like, what, like, how much caffeine are you consuming in a day? How much alcohol are you consuming in a day? Like, how much, like, do you actually, uh, that's more of the natural, the, the soul of like, what do you, 
creatively do or what do you actually entertain yourself with? And then the spiritual, of course, is just like, are you praying? Are you going to confession? Are you actually uh, spiritually striving for something? So I think in all of those modes, there needs to be mentorship. What I find is a challenge trying to pasture right now is like there's a crisis at every single layer of this now. (laughs) And they all are connected to each other, obviously. But I can't, like, I hear Paul saying to Titus, like, you should exhort the young men to be sober-minded. And like, yes, but now in this culture, there's like that sober-mindedness is attached to so many things that I can't function. Like, it's... I'm going to use in a kind of cynical way or sarcastic way. Like it takes a village, right? (laughs) It does actually take a community to do these things. Because I think at this time, there's like Paul, I'm pointing to Paul talking to Titus. There was connection, right? There was a natural goodness. I mean, C.S. Lewis talks about the pagan world. It was like, I would much rather have good old fashioned paganism and the strength of paganism and the people it created than the kind of ghost-likeness and the wraithness that I encounter now, you know? So I, I think this is a challenge that if we don't think about this as a community, I think we're missing some major things that are the elephant in the room. <laughs> so uh, I don't have answers to all these things because I think we're all in the midst of this and trying to figure out, because I'm not like, yes, cell phone, like screen culture, that is obviously a contributing factor. That's not the only contributing factor. There's a lot of other things. And then how do you actually mitigate some of those things? How do you create more connection without all becoming cult-like? <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, then you get into this, like, almost like the other uh, problematic, which I don't think that means giving up. Anyways, we should end because we're over time now. Uh, if you all want to hand this back to me so I could hand it out or if you want to keep a copy and I can just make more copies because I would like to just kind of quickly go through it next time uh, and fin- I guess we didn't finish Titus 2 I thought we would go faster than that but such is life can you send this out? it'd be yeah, nice sure. to read it over there sure. before we come back next time Lord, now let us tell thy servant, depart in peace according to thy word. From mine eyes I have seen the salvation which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, the light to enlighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.